Good afternoon, everyone. It's a delight to see you again this month. I'm excited to be able to fellowship with you again. And we'll just go straight into God's Word. For some of you, this is your second time coming for the meeting. For some of you, it's your first time. And um, just to help every one of us be on the same page. We've had individual relationships of discipleship and encouragement here and there. But towards last month... The Lord said it was time for us to start meeting collectively, occasionally, as we begin to understand how to operate together and individually. And when I mean together, part of your discipleship process <coughs> is for you to be able to is for you to be able to work together with other Christians. There is no Christian that works as an island. We are a body, if you go to Ephesians chapter 3, from verse 14, it says, I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and on earth is named. Now, until every Christian comes to understand that every other person that believes in Jesus Christ, like he or she does, is his or her brother, that person is still struggling in the faith. It's not... A question of whether you like it or not. We have to grow into it and must grow to love each other. Oh, there may be issues, there may be struggles, but the Bible says love covers a multitude of wrongs. When we came into our physical families, we did not know that we will meet any sibling here. And if we are older, if we are the elder ones, those that are younger than us did not know they will meet us there. It was not a matter of election. It was by God's Ordination. So, in our discipleship process, we are trusting God that in this work, in this ministry, we will get to the point that we will be ministering to others. It will not just be, oh, Bra Gabriel and uh, Auntie Yeboma are the front runners, they are the ones that do all the work. No. As you grow in your individual lives and in your individual specific purposes, for a while, as God helps us and as God grows us, when we have certain opportunities to minister, we are trusting God that you will be able to come with us. Some of you will be able to come with us from time to time. Perhaps you are going to a secondary school to go and minister to the students there. Some of you will be able to come with us and begin to exercise some of your giftings. Because in your purpose are, in God's purpose for you are resources. And these resources are to be engaged in the kingdom of God. Whether in the church, whether in spiritual organizations, you need to learn how to operate in your giftings. And from experience, these things work by practice, not by so I know by the grace of God that 
as we grow in our individual lives, your hunger for God will increase. And as God grows us and gives us opportunities, we will also trust God to create a platform for you to express your own God-given talents to bless the body. Are we together? The Bible says that the body is compacted by what each part supplies. It's not what each part demands that compacts the body. It's what each part supplies. So the heart is supplying pumping of blood. The legs are supplying movement. The eyes are supplying vision. The liver is supplying removing toxicity from the body. Every part is supplying something. So you are designed to supply something in the body of Christ. Every one of us that's here ought to be part of a local church actively. Yes, you are going through discipleship. You have a you are going under spiritual leadership. You should be under a local church. God has never told us that we are starting church. And even if we are starting, it's going to be difficult to bring all of you because you come from different places. So that you will understand what we are doing here. I don't want you to be fuzzy about, okay, why are they calling me for this meeting? Yes, I know we are into this. We get some advice. We get some mentoring. This is what it's about. Everyone that is under leadership, clearly, whether we have a commitment to and have a commitment to us, we are trusting God that the time will come and has come by God's grace where when we, are, we have assignments, we do these assignments together. We will grow. And it's not only when it is local. As God grows us, this assignment is to the ends of the world. Don't worry about how we look now. When God gave an understanding of international soul winners over 10 years ago, I never knew that I will be called to ministry. But it's not my life. Amen. So, feasting in the Lord is a recalibration meeting to keep us focused and in line with God's kingdom agenda for our lives. Collectively and individually. As we tune our hearts to today's feast, let's read 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 20 to 21. 2 Timothy. We started. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 20 to 21. Anyone can read? <clears throat> Thank you very much. Now, in God's great house, he has made an open invitation to every person in the house. And the way he represents or refers to each person, he refers to each person as a vessel. A vessel is more like a container. It's meant to 
hold certain things. It is meant to be used for certain things. But he went on to say that there are different kinds of vessels in that house. Gold, silver. Then he went on to say also of wood and of earth. Then he now classified these vessels, some unto honor, some unto dishonor, in the same house of this great God. He's making an analogy here. In those days and even now, if you go to a king's house, they don't just serve anybody with vessels of gold. They are special vessels for people of high rank. Of high value. And God is saying here that the choice to be a vessel of honor or a vessel of dishonor is not in his hands. It is in the hands of the vessel. Are we together? He says, if any man therefore purge himself from these things, if you go up to the verses above and some verses beneath 20 to 21, you will see the things that God was saying men should purge themselves from. If a man should purge or a woman should purge him or herself from those things, the person will become a vessel unto honor, which means the responsibility of becoming a vessel unto honor is in the hand of the vessel, largely. There's another aspect to it, but largely is in the hand of the vessel. And though we select the level we desire to be on, we cannot place ourselves there. It looks like a paradox, but it's not. You determine which level you are on, but even though you determine the level you will be on, you cannot put yourself there. The way you get there is one, by purging yourself. But when you purge yourself, according to the level that you desire to be in, then God will place you there. God is the one that places. There are two broad categories. Honor and dishonor. But even in honor, there is gold and there is silver. At least the Bible gave us those two levels. And it's not only in this place. Lest you think that, I know, we are just using one scripture to go out of boundary. No. But before we go there, when you put yourself or by the help of God, there are certain things that come about, certain blessings that your life now begins to carry. And it is listed in verse 21. It says, it shall be a vessel unto honor. That's the first thing. A vessel unto honor is a new name. I'm laying the foundation for today's teaching. A vessel unto honor is a new name. In the house, how do they identify things? They do not identify them by, oh, this is a vessel of gold or vessel of silver. No, it is a vessel unto honor and a vessel unto dishonor. That is the major classification. Then God can now desire, out of these vessels unto honor, give me that gold vessel. It's an analogy. 
that God is using to explain how men are in his house. The next thing is sanctified. Sanctified is a spiritual state. One, God says, oh, this person was a vessel unto dishonor. Now, I call him a vessel unto honor. But as the person continues to purge himself, then the Lord says he is sanctified. Sanctified means separated unto God. No longer is that vessel going to be used for unclean things or confused things. Uh, you know, in our houses sometimes, there are some bowls we use for everything. We use it to wash meat, we use it to cut pepper, we use it to cut onions. The bowl is used for everything in the kitchen. But the moment you want to use a certain bowl of your mother, a casserole, she said, no, 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 don't touch that bowl. It's not for such. And mommy, I just, no, take other bowls and use. But that casserole, some they will even say, you know that bowl is older than you, go and drop it. It's not because it's older than you, per se. It's because it is a vessel unto honor. And in God's house also, there are people he does not use any how they are vessels unto honor they are sanctified they are separated the next thing is they are meat for the master's use meat for the master's use is a recommendation not only are they separated God has now recognized fully that yes I know I have many clean vessels but this one is suitable for the master's use. Not for the master's son's use. Not for the master's servant's use. For the master's use. It's not every vessel in the house that the master uses. There are other people, the Bible says that Moses was faithful in all of God's house. But he did not have as much glory as the son of the house. In the house of God, there are high-ranking servants who are permitted to engage certain vessels according to the views of God upon their life, if I will put it that way. But the master does not use every other vessel. Sometimes he uses them when he wants to get things done. But he does not use... Have you, have you not read in scriptures when God wants to get certain words out? Let's take for example Ahab. When Ahab refused to kill, is it Ben-Hadad or so? One of those kings. Elijah was still alive I think Elijah was still alive. Yes. And he refused to kill that king. So when he was going back, God did not send Elijah to him. God sent another vessel to go and tell him that it's going to be a substitution. His life for that king's life since he refused to kill that king. But when God had all that information for that king, 
Who did he say? Elijah. There are some kind of assignments that God could not just give to anybody. When it, there are important assignments, he sends Elijah to deliver it because Elijah is the one that has the capacity. It's not that God loves Elijah more than the others, no. But Elijah has purged himself. He has become sanctified. Meat for the master's use. Then the last stage and the last blessing is prepared unto every good work. Unto every good work. Not unto some good works. As we continue to purge ourselves, God will be able to use us unto every good work. And this, I see as not just God's recommendation, but the operational evaluation of that person's life in God's kingdom. God is evaluating his operational use. Is he 50% of good works that he can do? And I can send him or her for? Or is he 75%? Or is he every good work? There are sanctified vessels. Meet for the master's use, but they cannot be used for every good work yet. As they continue in their process, as they continue in their being shaped, as they continue to be yielded to the Holy Spirit, then they can be used for every good work. God could use the Lord Jesus Christ for every good work. And the Bible tells us that we ought to follow in his steps. Amen. Now we can safely say, like I said earlier, that the vessels of gold and of silver represent the vessels unto honor. And this is my conviction. Let's go to Malachi chapter 3, just 3 to 4. Malachi chapter 3. Verse 3 to 4. It says, And he shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he shall purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. Then shall the offering of Judah and Jerusalem be pleasant unto the Lord, as in the days of old. And as in the former years. Malachi chapter 3 verse 3 to 4. If you look at verse 3. We see two materials that are used to represent the sons of Levi. They are human beings. But God says he will sit and purify them as gold and as silver. Those that have some information about metal... Um, smelting and purification. See, silver, even the Bible says it that silver ought to be purified seven times in a crucible. They keep removing the dross. Silver is not said to be pure till you can see your face clear like a mirror in it. That's when the, the silversmith knows that this silver is pure. And it is always fire that is used. But when you subject wood to fire, it burns. Earth 
cracks and bonds, but gold and silver are refined. And God is saying here that if we purge ourselves, I said the responsibility largely dwells on us, right? We become as gold and silver. Then we move to the next level where he now becomes the one that we sit down to purge us. One level we are the ones that sit down with the Holy Spirit to start the purging. The other level he comes to sit down with us. Why? Because it gets to a level where we cannot see the impurities in our life again. There are some impurities we can see. If we are struggling with lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life, some of those things are easy to see. We are struggling with love of money, struggling with um, love of position and power. They are easy to see a lot of times. But when we are struggling with inner, inner impurities of things like maybe self-righteousness, of legalism, Sometimes we don't see it. And God needs to purify us. He needs to show us. It will be a hot process often, but we will come out as gold and as silver. Amen. So, in order for you to be one, a vessel unto honor, sanctified, meet for the master's use, prepared unto every good work, you must go, I must go through a process of purging. It's the same purge that is used in Malachi, that is used in First Timothy. Perhaps God just wanted to, us to be sure that uh, it's not a different, it's not a different word. Let's just say our God is removed the use in, uh, that you used in First Timothy and you're using purge, there are two different things. No, eh? It's the same purge. It's a strong verb for getting rid of. That's when you purge something, you get rid of what is not meant to be there. Aggressively. And what is the use of all this? The fact that you have been prepared as a vessel unto good works. You've gone through this four level of purging. You've received these blessings. Does not necessarily mean that you have done the work. The Bible said, prepared for every good work. He didn't say doing every good work. So what is next? The next thing is actually service. If you engage, if you refuse to engage yourself, God is purging you and then the time comes for him to use you and say, yeah, let me use you. I'm like, no, I'm too clean. Ah, God, can you see how clean I am? I'm very refined. Ah, you can see your face in me. <laughs> and you refuse to yield at that time. You are, you still, they, you still need to be purged of certain things. Part of the purging process is to yield yourself unto use. And that is service in the kingdom of God. Service in the hand of the master. So what we are looking at today, it's called options of service. Options, like different options. They say, do you want an option of Semo and Begiri? Or you want an option of Pandediam and Ebusi? Or you want Eba and Efo? 
those are options. There are also options of service. And we're going to be looking at the scriptures to pick this. In John, let's go to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. We are going to read from verse 1 to verse 8. I was reading this on a certain day and as I was reading it and studying, I just wanted God to speak to me. And He led me to this scripture. While I was studying it, I got what God wanted me to get personally, but I knew there was something more inside. So I started asking God, what is in this verse? Then I started writing. As I was writing, he told me, this is what you are going to serve. The, I want to serve them at the next feast. So okay. So I sat down and started trying to listen to everything he was saying. I was actually blessed. And I trust God that you will be blessed also. John chapter 12. Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. There they made him a supper. And Martha served, but Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Then said one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him. Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bare what was put therein. Then said Jesus, let her alone. Against the day of my burying had she kept this. For the poor always ye have with you. But me ye have not always. I'll just read verse 9 also. But much people of the Jews therefore knew that he was there. And they came not for Jesus' sake only. But that they might see Lazarus also whom he had raised from the dead. So, we've had what the Bible says in John 12. But the question that will come to a lot of people's heart, or that I would like us to consider, is who were Martha, Mary, and Lazarus? That Jesus was coming to eat in their house. Why were they preparing a supper or a dinner for the Lord Jesus Christ? We know that Jesus has been accused by the Pharisees that he eats in the house of publicans and of sinners. Isn't it? They said John the Baptist, in a place Jesus said, John the Baptist came eating and he did not eat and drink. You said that he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking and you said that he's a glutton and a friend of sinners. So, whichever way these men of God went, they were condemned. But in Jesus' case, he was eating. And his disciples used to enjoy with him. Or well, what are we looking at here, per se? 
In order to understand why Jesus was eating in their house, we need to go back to John 11. Then we will get a better picture of this scripture. Now, there are certain things we don't have. I'll just be summarizing. I'll be calling scripture so that we can look at it. First thing we need to see in John chapter 11 verse 11. The Lord Jesus made a declaration that Lazarus was his friend. And we understand that it was not just Lazarus, but both Lazarus, his sister, and his, uh, and, he, and his two sisters. Jesus said that this thing said he, and after that he said unto, he said unto them, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth. But I go that I may awake him out of sleep. So Jesus said that Lazarus was not just his own personal friend, but the friend of his ministry, his disciples. They were ministry friends. They loved Jesus. The next thing is that Jesus loved them. Oh, we know that God sent Jesus into the world and loved everyone. But we know that there are certain people that it is recorded that he loved them. He says, and the disciple whom Jesus loved. Is it that he didn't love other disciples? No. But it seems there was a, such a deep intimate relationship between Jesus and certain people that it had to be recorded that he loved them. And it was not recorded that Jesus loved Nathaniel. As in like him saying, oh, and Nathaniel that Jesus loved. Jesus looked at the disciples and says, I have loved you. Love one another. I have given you an example. So we know that he did love them. But in this case, in John chapter 11, Verse 5. He says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. This is the clear statement. So we are getting to know who these people are. The next thing is that they loved to host Jesus and his disciples. In Luke chapter 10, verse 38 to 42, we see the first time where they encountered, according to scriptures, that they encountered Jesus. They say, In a certain town, and we know that town is Bethany. There was a woman named Martha. And she had a sister. And they hosted Jesus. Such that Mary was listening to Jesus and Martha was serving. Hosting Jesus. Getting ready to do something for Jesus. And she complained and Jesus said, Martha, Martha, you are concerned about too many things. But one thing is needful. And Mary has chosen it and it should not be taken away from her. That's where we start to understand these people, these friends of Jesus. Remember the topic, options of service. Another thing about these people is that they learned from Jesus. If you go to that same Luke 10 in verse 41, that was where Mary sat at the feet of Jesus. And I believe after Jesus rebuked or corrected Martha, in verse 41, 42, thereabout, Martha learned. Because in John chapter 11, when Jesus came, Martha went to him and said, Lord, Lord, if you were here, my brother would not have died. And Jesus said, if you believe, you will see the glory of God. Then she said, yes, I believe that my brother will rise on the last day. Now, what she stated there is one of the the, the fundamental principles of the oracles of Christ that is in Hebrews chapter 6 which is the doctrine of the resurrection of the dead so we see clearly that Jesus taught them and they learned they were not blockheads they were disciples that learned what Jesus was saying and 
she was able to tell Jesus again. So when she told Jesus, Jesus now gave her a greater revelation. He says, I am the revelation, the resurrection and the life. That she did not understand. Because later, when Jesus got to the tomb and said, roll the tomb away, she said, Lord, by now you will be smelling. Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So he filled in the gap of her learning. However, she had learned from Jesus. Mary had learned from Jesus. Lazarus had learned from Jesus. Because Jesus said, our friend Lazarus sleepeth. Then when he came to Martha, in that same John 11, he and Mary, he said that if any man believes in me and dies, he will live. But if any man believes and lives, he will never die. So Jesus was categorically saying that even though Jesus delayed for two days, and he came after Lazarus had died for four days. Lazarus did not lose his faith in Jesus before he died. That's the first thing. The second thing is that even when he came, Mary and Martha that were crying their hearts and their eyes out, they still did not lose their faith in Jesus. That's why he could say he is sleeping. Otherwise, Lazarus would have been dead. So these are our friends. Now, why are we looking at all this? We see that Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. And immediately after that, there were Jews around, many Jews, that saw what Jesus did. And because of Lazarus' death, I was wondering, I said, Lord, what is so different about Lazarus' death? Because Lazarus' death caused a lot of serious, he shook heaven and earth. His resurrection, rather. Many people that were not believing in Jesus began to believe in Jesus because of Lazarus' death. It was because of Lazarus' death that people started coming from Jerusalem to Bethany to come and see the Lazarus' that was raised from the dead. It seems that they were either maybe middle income people, they, people knew them, because it says, and many people came, many Jews came. So I believe many, many of those Jews would have been there for the funeral of Lazarus. Then for them to hear that Lazarus is alive, you know, I was there. I was part of the that carried him inside. In fact, I had to do cleansing for me to be clean again. You cannot tell me he's alive. They went there and they saw that Jesus raised him from there and decided to believe in him. So the Pharisees wanted to kill Jesus all the more. So Jesus withdrew into a country that thing in near the wilderness. And he was there for a while. He didn't come out. But now it was time for Passover. And Jesus came out. In fact, they were. it was six days to Passover. So notice this. They had loved Jesus before. But it got to a point where their faith was tried. They didn't lose their faith. And Jesus came and stood up for them again and showed that he is their Lord. So they decided to organize a supper for him. Are we together? They decided to make a dinner. So you know that it's not just a normal dinner that was made in Luke chapter 10. This was a special dinner to honor the Lord Jesus. Are we together? And when this dinner was taking place, Many people also came to come and join the dinner, to come and see Jesus. So, let's look at verse 1 to 3 again. This is where our options of service, we now need to really look out for what God wants us to see. Oh, before, sorry, before we go there, I didn't finish talking about 
why Lazarus' death was so special. Resurrection. When it was the, there were three, I believe there are three instances where people were raised from the dead in the scripture that we have the account. I believe there are more than that. But the one that was given to us that we may believe that Jesus is Son of God was three. One, the son of the woman of Nain. And the culture of these people is that when a person dies, they bury the person on time. They don't keep the person for long. So, Jesus saw them carrying the body of that guy and he told them, drop the the the, the, the coffin. Because he had compassion on the mother and he woke the boy up. Then Jairus' daughter. You remember Jairus was with Jesus where the woman of the issue of blood taught Jesus and while Jairus was still falling at his feet, I said, Lord, my daughter is sick. They came and told him, why are you bothering yourself? Your daughter is dead. Then Jesus said, if you believe, you will see, I think, no, he said that, believe. So, Jairus took him home. He woke the girl up. So, this in, in both situations, the people have not died for up to 24 hours. Are we together? But in Lazarus' own case, he has died for four days. And his sister gave us an understanding that by the fourth day, he would have started decomposing. His body is not just that God just wake him up and his body will just be camping. He will continue doing his... His body was decomposing. So, first of all, there needs to be a miracle of healing his body. Then there needs to be a miracle of bringing his spirit back into his body. If his spirit has come into that decomposing body, you understand, it will, he, will, he, will, he will be dying. He will, he will still die, probably. But Jesus healed him and he was completely whole. So it was not, it was, it was a clear evidence of the almighty power of Jesus in the face of the people that say it's a lie. This man is not the Messiah. Jesus also said that he told his, he told his disciples that I am glad that I was not there. That you may believe that I am he. There was still a measure of doubt in the disciples that did not allow them to accept the lordship and the divinity of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was not just for the disciples, it was for the Jews. Because when Jesus got to the tomb, he said, Father, I know you always hear me, but for the people that are staying around me, I say this. Then he called in a loud voice, Lazarus, comfort. God was trying to make a statement with the life of Jesus and with the resurrection of Lazarus. So you need to picture all this and see how elated how happy they were to have Jesus and to serve him a dinner. We're on the same page, right? Now, in John chapter 12, we see that there were many kinds of people there. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus were there. And all these people, Jesus loved them. We knew that Jesus loved his disciples. We knew that Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And Jesus even loved the world. But we have certain statements here. And I want you to be processing this thing. This dinner that was made for Jesus is the same thing that happens when we go to church on Sunday. We go to church to go and worship the Lord. And to set a dinner for him because he saved us. 
from our sins. When we have spiritual conferences, glory days, something that, even a meeting like this, we are setting a dinner for the Lord Jesus. And whenever we set a dinner for the Lord Jesus, he comes. He comes because he is actually worthy of the dinner. He is worthy of the feast. And when he comes, when we come and gather in his name, we lift up our praises, which are like, they are, they are, they are, they are, they are blessings unto him. He loves to receive our praises and our worship. So he comes. Next, at such meetings in church, wherever the kingdom of God is announced and Jesus is invited, people take different levels of service. And it's not Jesus that forces them to take it. According to their desires, they find the place that they want to stay in. And remember, Jesus loves everybody. He responds to everybody according to their desires in such a meeting. And this John 12, 1 to 3 is an example of such meetings. Now, let's take it one by one. In John 12, it says, Jesus, then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead, they made him a supper and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of them. So, part of the people that were the, the supper were Martha. Lazarus was one of them, and he sat at the table. Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard and very costly and anointed the feet of Jesus. And wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the odor of her ointment. But Jesus loved the three of them, isn't it? But that's not all. There was another person at that meeting, Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples. We should betray him. And he began to ask Mary, why did you not sell this ointment and give the money to the poor? So that is number four, right? We also have the other disciples were there. The record is not there because they, we didn't see them doing any serious thing. But they were there. Because they used to move with Jesus. Isn't it? Who else do we have here? We have the Jews in verse 9. Who came to see what was happening in that place. And all these people represent individuals in the church today. The great house of God. Where there are verses unto honor and verses unto dishonor. This is a cross section. It's an example of the house of God. These people. Lastly, we have Jesus. <coughs> so, I'm going to pick it from Jesus now. And I'm going to share some things concerning. So, we will understand which option of service we want to walk in. We have the Lord Jesus. He was the special guest of honor at this meeting. Yes or no? He is the head of the table. He is the one that is supposed to start the feast. And another thing is, he's actually worthy of the attention. He's worthy of the service. And he's watching everybody to see what they actually want to do for him. He has already served them. It's because he served them that they knew that they needed to serve him. 
He loved them first. That's the Lord Jesus. The next person we see here is Lazarus. Lazarus was the host. He was a recipient of the grace of God. It was him that was raised from the dead. Right? So, he was a living miracle. In fact, he had, in a sense, become a celebrity. Because even when Jesus was not there, people were coming to look at him. And when they see him, they see that Jesus is real. They, be, they put their faith in Jesus. So, in a sense, Lazarus may have actually even become a celebrity. If you read down to verse 40 something, verse 50 something of that same John 12, you find out that it was so bad that the Pharisees wanted to kill Lazarus so that people would not believe in Jesus. But what was Lazarus doing at that table, at that feast? Lazarus was sitting with Jesus. He was being served. In John 13, Jesus said something. He said, is it not the man that sits at the table that is the head and the one that says that is the least? Maybe we should look at it. John chapter 13. In John chapter 13, in verse 16. He says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, The servant is not greater than his Lord, neither than he that is sent, greater than he that sent him. I think the, the other account, I don't know whether, maybe that is Luke. Let me check the Luke account. Maybe we will have that. Yeah. Yes, Luke chapter 22 verse 25. So we see the principle. See, when we are reading the scriptures, we have to use the scriptures to interpret the scriptures to understand what God is actually saying. And he said unto them, The kings of Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and they that exercise authority upon them are called their benefactors. So he was talking about different levels. Some are lords, some are servants. I'm sorry. I've not gotten that scripture. But in that scripture, Jesus was saying that is he, he that sits at the table is the greater person. It's verse 27. Oh, thank you. For whether is greater, he that sitteth at meat or he that serveth, is it not he that sitteth at meat? But I say I am among you as he that serveth. So in this place, we can effectively say that Jesus sitting at the table was the greater person. Right? But Lazarus too was sitting down with him. I don't know. I don't want to bring any conclusion. But there's a question that comes to my heart. If God raised Lazarus from the dead, shouldn't Lazarus be so excited to serve? But he sits at the table with Jesus. He is a host. Instead of him to be so happy that Jesus raised him from the dead. He is a friend of Jesus, we know. Jesus loves him, we know. But the disciples are also loved by Jesus and they served Jesus. But he sat down at the table being served with other people. That is an option of serving. 
there are many of us that have we have seen the hand of God in our life. God has provided for us miraculously. God has healed us. God has delivered us. God has given us revelations. God has given us so many things. But when it comes to the supper that is addressed for the Lord Jesus, that is prepared for him, when we come into those meetings, rather than taking an option or a different option of service, we prefer to be served. We sit down as the leaders. We want everybody to say, Yes, uh, well done, sir. Ah, man of God, woman of God. That's the attitude in our heart. And as a result, others serve us. But Jesus has said in that John 13, He now went for that other verse 27. He says, But I am among you as one that serves. He that will be the greatest in the kingdom must be the servant of all. So, technically, if I'm using scripture to apply Lazarus, uh, applied to Lazarus' action of service in that place. Lazarus was not going to get a greater benefit. Those that were serving would get a greater benefit. Are we together? That's the first option of service. So, note, this kind of people, it's not that they don't know, they don't know God, though. In fact, they have received more powerful encounters with God than others. But it has not caused them to serve. It has caused them to sit at the table. I don't know whether Jesus invited him to recline with him because the version says he was reclining with Jesus. The way John used to recline with Jesus. But you know, you cannot put Lazarus in the same place with the apostles. Because in Luke 22, verse 28, let's look at it. Let's see what Jesus said there. This one was the supper that Jesus organized for his own disciples in the same spirit of service. He said, ye are they which have continued with me in my temptations. So we know that the disciples were not being lazy by sitting at the table. It is part of their benefit. We are talking about the apostles now. It's part of their benefit to enjoy with Jesus. Jesus has said in John chapter 12, verse 26, He that says me, let him follow me. And whoever says me, my father will honor let him follow me, for where I am, there will my servant also be. So it is there's nothing wrong with the disciples being at the table with Jesus. Because they are already natural full-time servants. This Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, they follow Jesus. But I don't the Bible does not give me the record that they were apostles that followed him everywhere. Otherwise, he will not need to come to the house to come and have dinner. Are we together? The next option. Is Martha. Martha in this place, she's also a hostess. Or is he an hostess now? I don't know. People, English people help me. And she was grateful. Lazarus was the one that died. He did not know the pain his sisters went through. He didn't know how much they desired him to be around. So Martha was grateful for Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. You know, she's always excited about serving. So what was she doing? Martha was serving everybody that was there. Plus Jesus, the disciples, she was serving them, giving them food. There are many people like that in the body of Christ today. Nothing goes wrong in the house of God because of them. They do what God... See, once, once there is a meeting and they are there, the place cannot be dirty. People cannot be hungry. They cannot need accommodation and they will not get. They will settle everything. They are running up and down. They are always everywhere. 
Many of them have the gifts of helps. It is the ministry of help that is operating in their life. It is a good thing. But is it enough? Remember that she is also a person that Jesus loves. The Bible didn't tell us that he loves Lazarus more than her. But she was serving people. Lazarus was sitting at the table. I don't know whether Lazarus was older than her. But what Jesus did in his life should be enough to change anything that was a tradition for him and serve Jesus. Jesus broke traditions with his disciples. They left their families and started to follow him. They did so many things. So I don't think it should have been too difficult for Lazarus to stand up and be serving Jesus and his disciples. But it was Martha that was doing it. That is another option of service, Martha. We go on to the other disciples. So I mentioned Jesus. Jesus is the first person. Mention Lazarus. Mention Martha. The other disciples, Jesus' companions, I say they usually enjoy and they suffer with Jesus. If he's enjoying, they're enjoying. If he's suffering, they're suffering. Whatever happens to him, happens to them. The Bible didn't tell us they did any serious thing apart from being there with Jesus. And remember, they are still in the service of Jesus at this time. There are also people like that in the house of God. They have served God so well at the supper is as if they have no use. But people do not know that they are operating at a deeper level of service with God. The supper is great. They will eat with everybody. But they eat at a deeper level with God. Because we see that Jesus set up another supper for them. So if you are looking at them at a supper, expecting them to be doing things and you are accusing them when you are supposed to be doing your own thing, you are wasting your time. Because they are eating at a deeper level with Jesus. They are serving at a deeper level with Jesus. They do not consider themselves anything. Those are option of service. Four. Then we have five. Who is number five? Judas Iscariot. Judas Iscariot is part of option four, but there is a problem in his own. Martha was serving the people. Lazarus was not serving anybody, but Judas was serving himself. The Bible says that he accused Mary and said, why did you not sell this ointment and give the money to the poor? And the Bible says, he said this not because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. And he used to put his hand in the bag. He used to serve himself from what is for everybody. There are people like that in the great house of God also. They are selfish. And sometimes they are also people of authority. If Jesus did not speak for Mary, Mary would have felt condemned in that, in that place. Because Judas was a high-ranking member of the caucus of Jesus. He was a treasurer. In fact, Jesus, the other disciples expected that Jesus can tell him some things that is none of their business. At the Passover, when he gave him money, they said maybe he's going to go and buy something for the Passover. He had that direct link with Jesus. So when he was speaking against Mary, Jesus had to protect her. That's another option of service. Do you want to be a person? Do you want to take the place of Jesus in a supper? You can't. Okay, do you want to take the place of Lazarus? Everybody should be serving you. It's an option. Do you want to take the place of Martha? 
You want to be serving everybody. It's fine. Do you want to take the place of the disciples in full-time ministry, other things, that you have a deeper level with God, not just in the general meetings? Fine. Do you want to play, take the place of Judas Iscariot? Serving yourself is an option. Then we have the next one. Jews. The Jews were spectators. But they were also in this great house. They came. Some of them were getting to believe. Many of them have not understood what evil means to serve. They are babes in the house of God. You cannot accuse them. They are still learning. They are still trying to understand what it means to follow Jesus. Then we have number seven. And that is Mary. Now, Mary was also a hostess the same way Lazarus was a host and Martha was a hostess. Mary was grateful for Jesus raising her brother from the dead also. She was involved in the intercession for Lazarus to come back from the dead. But Mary did not we know she would have done maybe some helping to prepare food and the rest. But when the supper started, Mary forgot every other person. And she started serving Jesus alone. Mary did not serve the apostles. She didn't serve her brother. She served only Jesus. And when she came to Jesus, she did not even serve his head or his hand or his clothes. She served his leg. It's Jesus is serving. But technically, when he was on earth, he too used to have dirty feet. That was why he took a robe and washed, took off his robe and took water and washed the feet of his disciples. And said, as I have done for you, do for one another. If you do these things, happy are you. The leg, he was telling Peter, he said, the person that is clean need not wash any other part of his body but his legs. Because, so technically, the legs were the dirtiest part of Jesus' body. Let's put it, quote and unquote. That was where Mary went to. And she didn't just say, Jesus, I've come to serve you. Let me, do you want to eat food? No, 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 no. She wanted to express her heart. And what did she do? She took an alabaster box. An alabaster box is a ceramic box. They put a fragrance inside. And that fragrance, when you want to get the fragrance, it's very expensive. According to certain scholars, they say, what spikenard is actually a precious fragrance from India. It's very, very powerful. And it's an ointment. They, I think they use it for embalming and some other things. But it's also a powerful fragrance. But to get the spike nard out, she needs to break the container. There are about two or three references to that alabaster box in the Bible. Different circumstances. And every time they had to break the alabaster box. And when they break it, it means that that fragrance will evaporate. It's, a, it's an oil. The reason why it is sealed is because it can evaporate. But when you want to apply it, you must break it and it means you must use all of it. 
And the other thing is that that fragrance is very expensive. In another portion of scripture, they say it is a year's wage. A whole year. Not a year of saving, no. No, the whole year's salary. That's what it was. That was what Mary went to bring. Mary was not the one that died, though. But her own option of service was one where she had to, that container represents her heart. She gave her wealth, she gave herself. She irrecoverably broke that alabaster box, which represents her heart for Jesus. She didn't just break it. She irretrievably poured the contents of her heart upon Jesus. Now, she didn't pour it on his head. There are other circumstances where somebody poured on his head. This one is on his neck. Somebody poured on his head. Four days after Mary poured on his leg. And she used it to anoint his leg. Mary was not thinking about her future husband. Because if she was, she would not probably have responded to Jesus the way she responded. Because some people say, ah, this man is sleeping with this girl. He must be sleeping with her. She cannot be showing him this kind of affection. How will I be using a second hand? See the way she see the way she's just rubbishing herself for the for the man. Who is herself? She anointed his legs, his feet, not even his leg, his feet, with the oil, and she used her hair. The Bible tells us that the hair is the glory of the woman, it's her covering. In Middle Eastern um culture. We see the way they are always covering their hair, covering themselves. Their hair is very important to them. They take care of their hair very well. Till now, women take it, love to take care of their hair. It is that same hair, her glory, that she used to wipe Jesus' leg, her, Jesus' feet. What are we using? What are you using to serve Jesus? Are you using part of your, your part of your life? Or you are using the most important, exquisite contents of your life to serve him. That spikenard also, they say it comes from two words, Pitikos and Nados. Nados is the fragrance. Pitikos actually comes from the root word of faith. And in literally, they, they explain that it means a sincere ointment, a pure ointment, a faithful ointment. Faithful means it is, it is completely whole. There's no impurity in it. And like I said, it is the content of the heart. How pure is the content of your heart? Is it pure enough for you to serve Jesus with it? And when you serve him, are you going to serve him with all of it? This was what Mary did. Others were serving other people. It is good. Some were even doing bad things or serving themselves. But Mary locked her eyes on Jesus. And as a result, the Bible says, and the fragrance of the ointment filled the whole room. The fragrance of Lazarus sitting on the table did not fill the room. The fragrance of Martha serving others did not fill the room. But the fragrance of Mary serving Jesus filled the room. Who are you serving? This is the question the Lord asked me to ask you.
at this feast. Who are you serving? Are you like the Jews that you don't even know who to serve? Are you like Lazarus who is being saved? Are you like Judas Iscariot that is serving himself? Are you like Martha who is serving others selflessly? Or are you deciding to serve Jesus alone? Do you think you can serve Jesus and you will not serve others? And as a result of Mary's service, she was singled out. She was singled out to be given a revelation that even the apostles did not have. From Jesus' statement, I presume and I deduce that she actually had a, she did that thing by revelation. When Judas Iscariot accused her, Jesus said, let her alone, leave her alone. Against the day of my death has she done this. The disciples were still struggling to hear, even when Jesus carried Peter just before he went to get him and said that he's going to die. And Peter took him aside and said, Lie, you will not die. Peter didn't have the revelation that Mary had. Because she decided to serve Jesus. She came prepared. How did Mary know that Jesus would not be with them soon? He said that for against the day, day of my death, as she kept this for the poor you have amongst you always, but me you have not always. The disciples, the apostles did not know this. They thought that he was going to be there always to restore the kingdom of Israel to them. But Mary knew that her time with the master was short because she served Jesus. Those that serve Jesus do not lack revelation. They are not kept in the dark. The other woman, we are not looking at that person today, who said Jesus at another feast. Jesus made a declaration about her that I believe also applies to Mary. Mary was singled out. In fact, some Bibles, when you go there, she's part of people that organized the meeting, but they say Mary anoints Jesus. What were the others doing? They were just spectators. In the in the scale of value of their service, it was not up to the measure of Mary's service. Mary's service became part of the preparation of the body of our Lord Jesus Christ to go to to, to, to be buried. It was a great honor. But it comes to those who serve Jesus. In our different places of influence, in our different homes, in our different churches, who are we serving? Who are we serving? I want you to bow your head down and talk to God. As you're talking to God, examine your life. Who are you serving? Who takes your focus? There are many things that we do that are good, but they are not the best. There is still space for improvement.
until Jesus consumes our focus, until the Lord consumes our attention, until he consumes our life. Mary did not just pour the precious substance on his feet. She wiped off the dust with her hair, with her own glory. The best of her is what she, the best of what she can present to, to the world is what she used to serve Jesus. Her money was not enough to serve Jesus. Her standing up was not enough to serve Jesus. She had to be at the feet of Jesus to serve him. The Lord Jesus is not partial. He responds to each of us the way we approach him. As we seek to fulfill God's plan and agendas for agenda for our life, who are we serving? Will you keep on serving other things for the next 20 years? Meanwhile, somebody else will serve Jesus for one year and the person will be, will be recognized in the kingdom. His own work will carry more value, more than yours. The effort that it takes to serve Jesus is not that much. It is the quality of the desire. Mary gave her all. What is too much for you to give the Lord? Remember, he did not talk at the, at the, he didn't request for Mary to do anything. He didn't request for anybody to do anything. He had done what he will do because he loves them. But the time came where a table was set to serve him. And some people still did not serve him. Mary got a revelation that Judas Iscariot did not have. Judas Iscariot could not see that being with Jesus was more important than giving to the poor. Yet he was with Jesus more than Mary was. It's not about how much you are in church. It's not about the roles you take in church. It's about the content of your heart. Who are you serving? Who are you serving?